There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning. Top of the day. Wolfgang Klein, your host of Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money. Of course, we have to weave in some legals and some financial planning, but we're going to throw some ice cream in today as well. Yes, indeed. So we're going to open the show with Steve Bookman. He is a lawyer, practices family law, helps you talk about business transition, the role of trustees, uh, important, complicated stuff, uh, but lots of families disputing over money, and he's going to talk to us about just that. We're then going to get our strategist, uh, one of our strategists, that is John Johnson. He actually works for the competition, but you know we, 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 we friendly compete, right? John Johnson's going to come on. He's with Davis Ray. He's their chief strategist. And we are going to end it with a visit from the ice cream man, the dairy bar, Corthodary Blake Fraser. He's the vice president general manager. He's going to talk to us about something so good this time of year, and it's a good day for it, ice cream. Yes, the dairy bar. Can't wait. Apparently, he's going to bring in lots of uh, treats for Jack and I, and uh, you may want to hang around for that one, Steve, uh, as you're involved in family law and business transition. The, the dairy bar, the Quartha Dairy, from Bob Cajun, uh, also Uxbridge. I'm not sure where their original dairy was, but I know them as a Bob Cajun company. Uh, that would have to be, what, four or five generations deep, that company. And again, as a business student myself and a practitioner of business for 30 years, working with a lot of entrepreneurs, Steve, they always said it takes an entrepreneur to start a business, the second generation to build the business, and the third generation to blow it up. Uh, would you agree with that statement? I think often the second generation blows it up. But uh, Oh, boy, I, time's moving quicker agree. these days. We can't even yes. get past two, eh? No, often you don't. So look, there's some big stories right now, and, and, and we're familiar with these Canadiana stories, whereby a lot of wealth was created uh, or... What was once an idea germinated into massive amounts of wealth, improper family structures, legal structures were ever put in place. I'm thinking, of course, of hockey, Tim Hortons, but even the Leon's uh, story, McCain family story, uh, all Canadian stories where families uh, disputed over uh, assets. Um, so that, that's really what you get involved in, the family feud? I think what the dispute is over basically is money, and I think that money is the big driving force that uh, divides families and that used to be close. And what happens is they end up uh, fighting each other over money they don't actually need because they have so much of it to start with. Well, as you say, dealing with family and dealing with money, they're two emotional things for sure. Um, so how do you set up a structure uh, so that a successful family business can carry on through the generations then, Steve? Well, that's something that uh, people try and do all the time. And in fact, in uh, the Leon's matter that's going on right now, uh, the, f the father uh, attempted to set a structure that would protect his children and make sure his estate was divided equally. And in the legal process, uh, they created something that it gave some of the brothers the opportunity to uh, try and get perhaps more than they should be. And it seems there's a trustee dispute there. Some of the beneficiaries of the, the family trust, from what I've read in the papers, uh, maybe aren't so happy with the, the distributions from the, the trustee. Is that correct? Well, uh, one of the sons passed away, mm -hmm. and uh, his shares were held in a trust um, which was controlled by the brothers who were the trustees. And uh, after he passed away, his widow thought that the uh, balance of the trust should be paid to her as the beneficiary of her estate, but 
the brothers think the balance should be paid to their children. So they're fighting over this money. And so now it's up to the courts to decide, I guess, That's uh, right. the outcome. Uh, so here you have a situation where the trustees are, I guess, being taken to court. The trustees are being taken to court, exactly. Right. So now my question to you is, if someone were to ask you to become a trustee, I think people often don't really think this thing through until it's too late. The responsibility of being an executor, for example, of a will is a big responsibility, and people often don't know what's in front of them, i.e. the degree of work, and more importantly, the liability which comes with that role after the fact. True? That's very true. Uh, the problem... Uh, I find is that a lot of people appoint executors without actually asking those people if they're willing to become executors. Mm -hmm. And they, they can they're equally re renounce that position uh, at the drop of a dime, couldn't they? They can, uh, but they often don't because they usually get paid for doing that. For being the executor. For yeah. being the executor. So they like, if it's a large estate, they, they certainly would like the income, even in smaller estates. So I want to ask you a question now. So you're, you're a trustee, uh, uh, of a trust. Um, you have to take care of the beneficiary's needs. Uh, there may be other uh, secondary and tertiary beneficiaries involved in, in the event so that someone were to pass away. Um, as a trustee, if someone were to take you to court, do you have to foot your own legal bill or would you be uh, indemnified? Would the trust cover your legals? Well, the estate or the trust itself would normally cover your legals unless you did something that was improper or acted in bad faith. Uh, then there's always the option uh, for a judge to make you pay your own legals, which isn't pleasant. But that's if you made some error. But if you did nothing wrong, nothing illegal, and if you held up your fiduciary duty to the trust and the, and the beneficiaries, then you should typically have the trust cover it. Is that right, Steve? That, that's the same with trusts or, or general estate disputes. If there's uh, an argument between beneficiaries of an estate, which is very popular, uh, the um, the estate will foot the bill normally, but not always. Yeah, and, and if you have a trust set up, and and, and the beneficiary says, you know, I, I I don't like this trust; it's too complicated. I want it to be unwound. Can the beneficiary approach the trustees and say, hey, unwind it? I want all my money now. And what's the likelihood of that happening? And if they were to push that to court, would a judge rule in favor of or or, or uphold the the existing trust? The court should uphold the existing trust if it's properly drafted and properly constituted. So, so they are they are worth their weight because these things I'm I'm, I'm learning are being disputed more frequently uh, than ever, and I'm just curious to what degree of success uh, a, a, a a plaintiff would have or claimant, I guess it would be right? claimant. Yeah. I, I think their uh, success would be marginal at best because if the trust is properly drawn, it's not a problem. I think that the uh, the bigger issues that arise are the beneficiaries fighting amongst themselves for what they think they're entitled to, whether or not that entitlement is set out in the trust. Or not, yeah. Uh, we speak with Steve Bookman. He is a lawyer with Steve Bookman Family Law. Gets involved in career, well, will and estate planning and uh, dealing with trustees and beneficiaries and you know, some pretty complicated stuff. But, uh, you know, if you have a family business and it's successful, you want to protect it and you want to take care of the next generation, uh, stay tuned to Hi-Fi Radio. Steve Bookman, I think, is a man who can help us become a little bit more educated. Uh, Going to pay some bills. Get right back to you right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. 
Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. We've got Steve Bookman in the studio. Do you know uh, the theme song, who that was from? No. Night Court. Oh, you, that's you, right. You're, you're yes. too busy in the books, so studying no. for law as opposed to watching television. Good for you. Great, great show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to end up there, but yeah, great show. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about, obviously, uh, the businesses and, and, and the work you do to protect family businesses so that the founders' interests uh, are live on. That's ultimately, I think, there's a legacy issue here. But before we get to that point, let's talk just because tis the season and we got the dairy bar coming in later. Um, apparently, they're bringing me a nice vanilla milkshake, uh, extra creamy. Look forward to that. Um, cottages. Uh, again, we want, we want to get emotional. Let's talk about a family cottage. Uh, so, mom and dad bought a cottage up in the Muskokas. Year was 1962. Signature on a deed plus probably 10 grand. Got them a couple hundred feet of beautiful Muskoka pristine water. Uh, very quiet, not too many people around yet. Uh, fast forward 50 years and whew, all the uh, yahoos, including Jack's hockey buddies, show up. And the place are worth millions of dollars. Um, Mom and dad who bought the place are still around, but they say, you know, we're not going to be here much longer. And we want to now allow our kids and more importantly, grandkids to enjoy the place. Uh, but we also have a big tax bill uh, on the table here when this place gets sold. Played, but they said 10 grand. It's now worth a couple of million. So there's a lot of taxes to be paid. How do we move this asset to the next generation? Uh, or is that really the best solution? Is it better off just to sell the asset and uh, let the next generation figure it out for themselves? If you isolate something like a cottage from the balance of someone's assets, uh, it becomes a little more complex. Uh, actually, I just did this very recently uh, for a client. And what we decided was that we would transfer the cottage now because it was very valuable and allow the children uh, to enjoy the growth and the parents would pay the capital gain. The parents, because you know, Jack, you know, Jack just put something in front of me last week, remember Jack? Yeah. About the, and I can't remember where it is in the Income Tax Act, but if in fact you were to transfer the cottage to the child, you did take a mortgage back on it, Jack, but in terms of the income tax paid, you could defer that tax over a five-year period if no cash transfer occurred. You can transfer ownership and then the capital gain. So then you realize one fifth of the capital gain over the next five years. So it's a, it's a way to defer some of the tax that you would uh, incur. Correct. And, and reduce and your overall tax bill. Big time. Yeah. Are you, are you familiar with that strategy? I'm, I'm f- familiar with uh, gifting cottages and gifting someone's interest to their children. At fair market value. Yes. You, yeah. You trip the gain, but then you don't have to pay the gain all in one year. You can defer yes. it over five years. Uh, so that's interesting. Let's now get back to businesses. Um, let, let's just say that you were, in fact, the founder of the Dairy Bar. I, I, I'm, I'm in awe of that business uh, just because the crowds and the ice cream. And who doesn't like ice cream? Uh, but as, as a little boy, I went to, I've been going to Minden, Ontario, and uh, enjoying the Dairy Bar ice cream. And again, I, we're, we're going to be speaking with Blake Fraser later in the show. And I'm curious, actually, is it are they fifth or sixth generation? But uh, for a company like that to, to, to pass on multiple generations, what type of structures do you think that they put in place? To, to help protect the interests, the brands, and the longevity of the business? Well, if they want to pass it to the next generation, they have to do some estate planning now, and they have to be concerned about uh, the growing value of the business. So there's uh, a lot of things that uh, they should be looking at, and that's not something that uh, they can devise in a couple of weeks. An estate plan for a successful business takes a lot of thought, a lot of attention. And, and I would bet you as well, because this is not a, a, a one-time occurring event. Uh, as each generation unfolds, I assume the estate plan must evolve and continue, uh, be revised and updated. And uh, the most popular way of doing that uh, is through an estate freeze, where the shares of the company 
are essentially passed on to the next generation so that the capital gain growth uh, in the business is deferred for a long time, and they can keep doing that from one generation. And, but that's, the, the, the that's thing my with point. That but every generation would then do an estate freeze, pass it on to the next right. generation. They would realize whatever capital gain they had to realize now, but then the future growth would be taxed. Right. Exactly. But they, they also remain uh, in control through preferred shares. Right, so the parents would remain in control through voting preferred shares. That's True. right, correct. Yeah, which is important. Yeah. They always, you always make sure that the uh, voting rights attached to the preferred shares, even if you only have one or two preferred shares, sure. outvote the common shares that you've passed to your children. But, so you but, stay in control. Exactly. Steve makes a good point there. You look at the fact that you have to plan for these things in advance. If you're looking even to sell your business, not just transition it, you don't uh, determine that you want to sell your business and start planning it. You want to plan multi years in advance. Make sure that your lawyers and accountants and financial planners are all on side with that task. Let's talk about wills uh, to, just to, to help wrap up the segment here. Uh, uh, when you have a business, uh, does it make sense to have a separate will for that asset? Well, uh, there are two types of wills that you can have. One yep. is a probatable will and one is a non-probatable will. Everyone who has uh, portable assets and shares in a private company should have a non-probatable will right. because then it doesn't attack, attract succession duties right. and tax. So that's very important to create those two wills. And um, and get proper advice, obviously, in setting yeah, it up. And yeah. you obviously do not want to do that yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you, you use that word probate, Steve. And we're in studio with Steve Bookman. He's a lawyer, Steve Bookman Family Law. Um, the word probate, uh, Jack and I have seen people... I wouldn't say jump through hoops, but go to pretty big lengths to save probate. And again, in Canada, we don't have estate taxes. We have one stamp tax, I guess is what the lawyers like to call it. Uh, it's called probate. It works out to, I guess, about 1.5% on average for an estate. Say you have an estate of a million bucks, it'd be about $15,000 roughly. Um, but to, to go to lengths to save that $15,000, I, I, I don't know if it's worth the, uh, the, uh, the, the cost and, and, and the potential risk as well that uh, the change requires. I think it's uh, very much worth doing a non-probatable will. Uh, it saves a, a tremendous amount of aggravation later, a tremendous amount of paperwork. You don't have to involve uh, expensive accountants and lawyers often. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like uh, putting a bank account in joint uh, joint yeah, names yeah, with yeah, that's children. my point. Yeah, no, non-probatable will I'm good with. I'm saying doing just that. Mom and dad have a million bucks, and they say to save probate, we want to put all our kids on the account. They don't truly realize that they just gifted a portion of that money to the child, and that child does have a legal right to that money. And if were they were they to become, shall I say, um, less than friendly children uh, and get themselves into trouble, they would have legal right to those assets. True or false? Yes, uh, it does happen. It's rare, but it happens. It can mm -hmm. happen, yeah. Because yes. my dad always said, don't bequeath money to the next generation until you pass away. Obviously, you it's, it's a case-by-case case basis, is. for sure. But I think for the average Canadian, I think my dad's advice was correct. If you're of the 1%, if you're uber wealthy, if you see potential large capital gains in front of you, yeah. But for the average Canadian, no, don't give to the kiddies. They haven't earned it yet. You have. Enjoy some of it. Steve Bookman, family lawyer with uh, Stephen Bookman Family Law. That's it. That's that simple, isn't it? Yes. Uh, how many lawyers working with you, by the way? There's six lawyers in my firm. Well, so we got the Warren Buffett of the firm in here today. Thank you for joining <laughs> us, my friend. Uh, Coming up next, John Johnston. He's a chief strategist with Davis Ray. Going to uh, take a look at the markets, where they've been and where they're going right after this. I want 
Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yes, indeed, it is. It is Hi-Fi Radio. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, your co-host and producer, and we got, uh, well, the biggest deadhead I know in the studio, John Johnston. He's the executive vice president, chief strategist at Davis Ray. JJ and I used to work back at one of the big six banks that makes about $3 billion a quarter, and we decided to, well, go to the other side, and... uh, so far, so good, eh? Grass yeah. is pretty green on my side. Uh, yeah, same uh, with me. That's why we can listen to the Grateful Dead while we're on the radio. That's kind of fun, eh? <laughs> Just for you, my good friend. Um, so you put out a piece, The Big Picture. Uh, here we are, you know, my goodness, May's almost done. We're entering June. Tends to be a seasonally weak period for the market, but the market this year has been choppy, a uh, slight upward bias to, to the American economy, uh, Canada basically working its way back to break even. Uh, what, what, what do you expect for the summer in the stock market, JJ? Well, I guess the key thing I'm watching is there's a tug of war underway between interest rates and earnings. And that's how I'm, I'm thinking about things. You know, rising rates, mainly in the U.S., uh, tend to weigh on price earnings multiples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then earnings are growing. Maybe the growth rate in earnings is going to come down, but they're going to continue to grow. And uh, we'll be toing and froing. That tug of war, I think, is going to keep things relatively choppy. That and uh, Mr. Trump's cell phone. <laughs> uh, you no, know? it's tw- his Twitter account. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, people keep asking me what's going to happen with NAFTA, what does all this trade stuff mean, and uh, it varies from day to day. You know, it's not clear that there's any clear pattern. We, we, basically, I think financial markets got what they wanted out of the Trump administration with the tax cuts. You got a spending boost. They didn't get the infrastructure, but I think people were scaling that back. Are they the getting time. the wall? Any bricks? Any mortar? Uh, it looks like they're getting something. Uh, a fence. That, yeah, a fence. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I think everything else that he's talking about is less friendly for the markets. There's a lot of baggage there and a lot of uncertainty. So um, I also, you know, I look at it and I think the economy is okay in the background uh, for now. Uh, but there are things underway that could start to weigh on it as we get into next year. If the Fed follows its path of interest rates, uh, two more this year, three next year. Um, you got to start watching to see whether the yield curve inverts. The Fed always raises rates to the point where something goes bump. If it's a soft landing, it still doesn't feel all that soft when you're in it. Uh, and it tends to be, you know, have an impact on earnings in the equity market. So uh, I think there's some bumpiness out there. And maybe, uh, you know, we'll look back uh, from a cyclical perspective and say 2018 was the we were putting in a top. And maybe there's a you know good size low out there, something like ni- uh, 2016, early 2016, uh, when we look out to the end of uh, next year or into early 2020. But uh, I, I think there's a bias upwards right now in equities. I think we've had a bit of a sell-off. We're going to get a, uh, a bit of an intermediate rally. But uh, I guess I'd be looking at it from current levels, maybe up a little bit at year end with a lot of the return being in the dividend side of things. And what about next year? Um I'm kind of yeah. worried about next year. So, so, so sorry, are you, are you concerned about more multiple compression? So you more, talked about uh, PE multiples, so price earning multiples, yeah. how much investors are willing to pay for a dollar yeah. of earnings. And right now it's actually coming down. So there's better value in the market. Absolutely. Do you see is. that continuing into the next year, basically multiples come down? 
that means the market goes I, I, I down? Think over, I think we've built in some of the risks. So I think we're going to get some multiple expansion still this year over the mm-hmm. balance of the year. So investors uh, getting more optimistic Yeah, because the, the, the market. market got a little ahead of the Fed. Right. Now it's going to come back a little. Mm-hmm. People are talking about a slowdown where I don't think it really is a slowdown. We, you know, when you come out of an, uh, a global growth slowdown and an earnings recession, you get a big jump in er- growth rates and then they roll over and stabilize it. But it's like zooming onto the highway, you accelerate really quickly yeah, and then you slow down flat. to a reasonable speed. And that's, I think, what's happening, which is getting portrayed as, oh, it's a slowdown. Yeah, well, last quarter we had 25% earnings growth, which is massive. That's huge. It's oh, massive. Yeah, it's going to certainly uh, slow down at the margin from there, at least. Uh, I think more than the margin. Yeah. But certainly you're looking at pretty, you know, you're looking at decent earnings growth into yeah. next year. But when I start to look into next year, you know, multiples are relatively high. They're not bubbly or anything like that. But uh, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And I just, and, you know, the difference between the current correction and the three others we had uh, since 2009, where every one of those earlier corrections was done in a, in a concern about deflation risks mm-hmm. and central banks rode to the rescue. Mm-hmm. One of the big three central banks or two of the big three central banks was in there doing something to provide support for the economy, to fight deflation risk, and ultimately to provide support for the market. I don't think that's going to happen this year. So I worry... It's that actually the opposite right now. That's more it's, of an inflation high... Interest rates, interest and, rate. you know, where are we at in the market cycle, the business cycle, mm-hmm. and it's certainly at the later stages. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't see a recession in the next 12 months, which, 12 months, which makes me think the next six to nine months are probably okay in equities. Okay, I, I want to challenge you on a few things here, JJ, because you know, sure. Jack, Jack, Jack and I get some different data sources, and that's what we like to do here, just to try to uh, bounce ideas off smart people's walls shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, John Johnson in studio, Chief Strategy with Davis Ray. Going to pay some bills around here and get right back to you on Hi-Fi Radio. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. There you go. Little money talk, isn't it, Jack? Beautiful Hi-Fi Reed. What's that? Beautiful song. Beautiful song, yeah. indeed. It's teed up for JJ. John Johnson with Davis Ray, chief strategist. So, uh, JJ, you're saying uh, no recession for at least a year, but uh, you're a little concerned about 2019. Uh, the work that Jack and I have been doing with our people at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, some of the boys and girls in New York City, uh, suggest the credit markets. Uh are really driving this equity bull market. Low interest rates are causing pension funds, U.S. state funds uh, to reach for yield, put on excess amounts of leverage, uh, and really play with 2% paper, 3% paper to get a 7% return. In other words, these pension funds have a hurdle rate. They have to make 7%. They have to buy bonds. And when you're, when you're buying a 3% piece of paper, you can't make 7% unless you buy a lot more of it and use leverage uh, to get your return up. All that money is making its way into corporate balance sheets or using that money to buy back stock. Share buybacks are big. Jack and I looked at a number of large cap companies, the S&P 500, and we can see the shares.
share count drop. Um, they use cash, they're buying back stock, and share counts dropping, which is pushing the equity markets higher. Um, Brian Reynolds, our strategist, JJ, thinks this the, the, this credit-led bull market in equities will continue for another three to five years. He, he's seen the S&P 500 get to upwards of 5,000 points. I'm going to flip it out to his, his compadre, Tony Dwyer. Tony says uh, the direction of earnings is going to take to lead to direction in equity markets. Earnings are going up, just like you said. And, and, and bull markets don't end with a PE of 17 or 18. Bull markets end with a PE of 25 or 30. Mm. Um, so he thinks, invert the yield curve, perhaps in, what, 18 months, shadow banking kicks in, keeps the money the, the, the money supply loose and goosey. Uh, they're, they're, they're seeing you know happy times for another three, four, four years, JJ. What do you think? Um, maybe. Who knows? You know, I look out, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I look out 12 months with a reasonable degree of confidence. I look beyond 12 months with a very limited degree of confidence. You're, I'm going to challenge you there because it's funny because the stock market, some said predicting the short term is very difficult. Predicting the long term is a lot easier. Well, I, if you're, yeah, but what you're talking about here is predicting uh, the cyclical movement in the stock market, predicting the long-term trend in the stock market. You know, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, Anybody can do that. It's because the short term, though. It's because the short term is driven by fear, greed. The, right. The yeah. natural emotions that you really can't predict. But yeah. I, I want to take this back to the list now because it's what Jack is saying, the short-term emotions you can't predict. What Trump puts on the on Twitter, what ends up on the front page of the newspaper or the television or on your uh, uh, electronic device can cause emotional knee-jerk reactions. But the long-term trend is up. So if you're a 60-year-old today or a 50-year-old today, based on what you see, would you be buying stocks and bonds and cash? How would you weight yourself in this environment? You know, I'm 60, right? So I can I can t speak to one of those hypothetical scenarios. Uh, you know, I'd be putting a bit of money to work in some selected areas. There's a few things. Uh, but, you know, to be honest, I'm quite happy to sit in U.S. cash at 2% for the time being. Uh, I don't think there's a huge, you know, margin of error in here. Um, the next recession could be five years away, but I'm not going to bet, you know, uh, you know, buying a lot of stuff now that has a seven to ten year return on, uh, you know, that's probably closer to five percent before inflation and taxes and fees and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to rush out and do that. Uh, I'd be very selective about it, but you know. Um, the Fed, you, know, you talk about leverage. I look, I track global leverage pretty closely. It's rising. Uh, that is a bit of a tailwind. You know, when when the private sector is levering up, it's a tailwind for the global economy. That's why I'm not all that worried for the next 12 months. I may end up not being all that worried for the next two years. We'll see as we sure. as we kind of roll through it. At the same time, when when a central bank is raising rates and there's a leverage system, you got to be careful. You know. Sure. Uh, you know, when I kind of think of my scenario uh, for going into like through 2019, 2020, it may be a fairly standard correction like we saw in 2015 into 2016. You know, some markets were in a bear, but, you know, a lot of markets fell short of the 20% hurdle. Maybe that's what we get. And if, you, if that's what we get and you rebound, then the bull market continues to live on from 2009. You know, there's there's no set time on these things, but the cyclical pattern tells me that the markets are going to be more difficult uh, in late 
2019, early 2020, and with the Fed on a, on a committed, seemingly, seemingly committed to this path of raising the Fed funds rate on an ongoing basis, everybody thinks they can get out because they're, they're front-running yeah. the Fed, they're picking up their pennies, well, there's no pennies anymore, they're picking up nickels and dimes in front of the steamroller, and there is leverage in the system. Uh, you know, we've had fairly, you know, mild economic downturns, and, you know, kind of nasty markets and i i'm not so sure that we need to see the pe go up to 25 or 30 you know in terms of uh, before before you have a bear market um the, I, no, I, we a, weren't that a, we weren't that high in 2007 no but 2001 we yeah were well that's a, that was a bubble i don't think we're in a bubble other than in these things like volatility but, but that's a good thing there's, there's all sorts of you know and and, okay. and to be honest you mentioned the credit markets at the outset you know when i look at what's happening to corporate spreads they're not making me at all nervous about the economy. Yeah, they're, 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 not, they're, they're giving they? me a decent amount of uh, pickup of of well, they're giving me a decent amount of encouragement about what's going to happen uh, this year. And I kind of you know I still you know I I'd be shorter duration corporates. I'd be focusing on good balance sheets with rates going up, but I don't mind corporate bonds. You know, probably you know shorter than three three years and shorter. Sure. Because uh, you can go out of a government well, of Ontario a five year two and a half and roll into a a. a, a quality investment grade corporate bond at two and a half that's you know at two with, and a half percent with uh you know duration under two years it's not, it's not exciting stuff jj that's two boring. and a half percent is boring man for you know well, i'd rather go to deadhead concert i really would i, I found it to be a pretty boring band it's time <laughs> well, i think the summer is going to be it's you know that's enjoy yourselves because uh, and not read the newspaper. I know when you were. I don't know when you were in Europe, but I, when I was in Europe, I never turned my phone on once, and I read books and I walked on the beach, and it was great. I came back in a really optimistic mood. Good yeah, for well, you. I say it, it's been a hated bull market, and our strategist Brian Reynolds says, you know what? It's probably the biggest bull market in history in this credit boom that we're talking about, and we should enjoy it while it's yeah. uh, while it lasts, but be cautious along the way. Yeah. But that, that leverage thing is big. It tells us that the, everything is going to be more sensitive to rates. We don't know Absolutely. what level, but what, and watch the yield curve. And I'm kind of wondering whether 3.5% is going to be that tipping point. You know, maybe you get some upward pressure on the 10-year Treasury, the Fed keeps going, and maybe it's around the 3.5 point on the 10-year that the curve inverts. Yeah. Or three and a quarter. But certainly all these strategists looked at history and that history was when the global debt to GDP ratio was a fraction of what it is now. It's at all four to five percent on a 10 year treasury before you even need to worry. And we get close to three and bang. So yeah. I think we need to just be a little careful about that mm-hmm. uh, to me. And, you know, I don't know. I, I can look at all sorts of things that can go wrong. Uh I can't predict how big an impact they're going to be, but I just don't feel that when I look at the the level of corporate spreads and at equity valuations and what it implies about ten, seven to ten year returns, which is what I like to look at, right. has enough of a of a cushion in there for that that margin of error thing. It does have enough for you. Uh, no, it doesn't. Oh, it does not. That makes more sense. To me like it has. A, it, I feel a lot better about it now than I did at the turn of the year. And I look at things uh, that have come down smartly mm-hmm. that, you know, I like. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I just want to be careful. I'd be kind of neutral weight on, uh, on my equity position. Uh, I'd be overweight cash and underweight bonds. And that bond allocation would be. Oh, so how, how, how much cash would you uh, advise the average 60 year old? Well, I don't know. For me, I'd like, you know, kind of 30 to 35%. Do, right do you now. think the average Canadian who's holding 35% cash would actually be able to redeploy that intelligently? You're, you're a pro. You've been in this business. Yeah, you're, but you're that, a PhD, that, you're an economist. 
Yeah, it, it, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> when that's, well, the economist is negative. We when, know that. No, when, the PhD is net neutral. <laughs> when, when we're in a group, the, the herd mentality. No, like Blake I, from Dairy Bar, he's going to have some good economic data. Yeah, yeah. Lineups in front of the of the counter. Yeah. That, that, that says it all. That, that's, that a, that's GDP extraordinaire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. You have to hang around for some ice cream, uh, JJ. Uh, yeah, we do. I'll have, hang around. I want to hear the good news. So coming up next, we talk to Blake <laughs> Fraser, John Johnson, of course, always a pleasure. Chief strategist Davis Ray. Uh, yes, ice cream is in the house. Looking forward to it on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. A little Bob Cajun because, well, when I think of the dairy bar, I think of Bob Cajun. Uh, yes, indeed. We're being joined here by, uh, is it Blake? Blake, Blake, yes. Blake, Blake Fraser? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Vice President, General Manager with the Kawartha Dairy Company established in 1937. Remarkable. Absolutely yep. remarkable. So my family bought a cottage in Minden in 1967. And well, you know what I'm talking about because we drive oh. by that big blue tent of yours. In fact, I remember that yep. dairy bar when it truly was an ice cream counter bar. Uh, I'm dating myself, but that's okay. Uh, I've seen pictures. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, well, I'm, I'm in the picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just a wonderful brand. I, I, I've, I've been in awe of the company. I, I kid you not, since I was a little boy. There's a few companies that really stand out to me. The new one actually is this Shaw's Maple Syrup that Jack introduced me to. But uh, Haribu Gummy Bears. Uh, is a brand that I discovered from Germany when I was a little boy, unavailable in Canada. And so that which you can't get, you want even more. Now we're finally available. Haribu gummy bears, best gummy bears on the market. And of course, Kawartha Dairy Ice Cream. Um, just a remarkable brand. The, the, the crowds, the experience. It, after all, it's just ice cream, but you do something different. Uh, first of all, what I see is you, you, you offer good value and you give people more ice cream than they can possibly consume. As opposed to in Toronto, you get way less ice cream and you're getting ripped off. Like, sorry, Baskin, Baskin and Robbins, 31 flavor, that you don't get any ice cream, but it's like a $5 experience. <laughs> uh, and, and as such, there's no lineups, there's no crowds, there's no hype. Uh, yeah. you, you're the Webbers of, of ice cream. Um, yeah. So just remarkable. So my first question is, how, how many generations is, is, is running this company now? They're into the um, third generation right now. Um, the founders um, in 1937, Jack and Isla Crow. Um, uh, when I joined the company in 1999, I was hired as an outsider to run the company. I reported to three brothers, so second generation. Um, previous to that, they had just had taken parts of the of the company and and did little aspects of it, but nobody was really in charge of the whole thing. So. Uh, they brought me in. It was a bit interesting experience uh, reporting to three different uh, gentlemen, but now we have um, uh, third generation. There's about seven family members working in the business now. Incredible. Um, where is the, the main dairy 
The main dairy is uh, right in Bob Cage, it's where it Bob all Cage. started. Yep, uh, and we're surrounded Uxbridge. by houses. I see Uxbridge in your in your notes as well. Yeah, those are the locations of our stores. Like from um, we we branched out, and um, we now have ten stores. And Uxbridge and is the closest one to Toronto, as well as Newmarket, which is our newest one. Because you have one in Aurelia as well, don't you? Yeah, Aurelia. Yeah. But the, that, yeah. the one in Minden, the one in Mike. Oh yeah, that's is that, a, is that a flagship one? It is, and it's funny that it it's uh, the biggest one for ice cream sales. Uh, it, even though the factory was in Bob Cage and Minden was the where, where the action was, and the lineups and uh, the summer tradition. Um, you know, it's a gold mine in the summer. It's it's absolutely dead in the winter, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a magical place, and some people, a lot of people, think we actually are making the ice cream right behind the counter there. But uh, it's all made in Bob Cage, and it's only a half an hour away. And so, what's the experience like in Bob Cage? And I, I was in Vermont, and I went to Baskin. Was it, no, sorry, I went to Ben and, ben, ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Um, whatever, I said whatever. A small ice cream scoop yet again. Big lineup. I'm, I'm not impressed. This is not the dairy bar. So I, honestly, that's what went through my mind. This is not the dairy bar. I like the dairy bar. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So what's what's is there a little experience in Bob Cage? Yeah, people, uh, you know, the people that realize uh, the plant is right there. And literally, the, it's a small store uh, in front of the plant. And uh, people think, well, they're getting the fresh, freshest ice cream. You know, in the, the little uh, independent that scoops uh, in town is getting the same ice cream, but they don't think it's quite as fresh, you know, because it's, it's uh, half a mile away. So that's kind of the magic of it. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're making the product every day and, uh, you know, it, it, it's sold quite a bit. And again, Torontonians, again, most, I know Torontonians know your brand quite well, but I, I think you personally, yeah. as, as a business person and the guy, I understand marketing and I understand markets. Uh, I think you have tons of runway in front of you. Like, oh, yeah. for, you know, you, you, I think the competitive landscape is, is not that great. I just came back from, from Europe. Okay. The, you want to talk ice cream, quality ice cream in Europe. They, yeah. They're the finest. Yes. I love European ice cream. Yeah. Uh, any country from Greece to, to Denmark and everyone in between this fantastic ice cream right in the street is beautiful experience. Great experience. Um, the, the ice cream in, the, in in North America, supermarket purchased ice cream. I, 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 I think it's a fail with the exception of Haagen-Dazs. Um, it's not yeah. a good product. There's a lot of stuff in it. I don't want to consume. I'd say your product is absolutely the exception to that. Well, we're, uh, you know, we've, we're making the same formula that we've always made. Uh, Jack Crow, I mentioned the founder, he, he went to University of Guelph and learned how to uh, make huh. ice cream. It's a course that's actually taught by a world expert, Professor Doug Goff. It's been, it's been going for, uh, you know, years. Really? Yeah, so um, what's the course called? A lot of my friends might become um, like, like, vintners and they become... Uh, brewmasters. Brewmasters. I'm not sure I the exact ice cream title, but it's, it's the ice cream course. Every oh, yeah. December, a lot of uh, companies will send their employees... To learn all, he's an absolute expert, and he, you know, before him was Sandy Pearson, other, but uh, this is where Jack Crow learned how to make ice cream, and we've never altered the formula. And my background is marketing, and a lot of marketing guys like to make changes. Well, once I realized, you know, what we had in that product, absolutely no changes, just keep it the way it is. We changed the packaging and made it a little more attractive yeah, that you way. You but, don't want to go for the new Coke. Yeah, you know, it's, it's... It's been tried and doesn't work. Yeah, it's so. it's 15% yeah. butterfat, so uh, lots of cream in it. Ice cream has to be 10%, so we have 15. And there's a lot of uh, products in the grocery aisle that aren't even ice cream anymore. They're made out of edible oil. 
Yeah, right. awful. Yeah, no, not interested. Um, 23 best places to get uh, ice cream in Canada. Number one on the list, Kawartha Dairy. <laughs> Bob Cage, and congratulations on that one. No, that, that's amazing. Yeah. Look, uh, we're going we're to spend some more time with you, Blake. Uh, pay some bills around here and get right back to Blake Fraser, who is the vice president and general manager of Kawartha Dairy, right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Weird stuff. <laughs> I was say my kids are looking at the window right now. <laughs> Where's that ice cream truck? Uh, there's no ice cream truck. Well, there is ice cream trucks. Uh, they're creamy colored, yellowish colored uh, that go up and down the 400 and actually more up, uh, I guess, Highway 35. You'll see them. They're making a trip from Bob Cajun to Minden and everywhere else. Um, you know, Blake uh, Fraser in the studio with us, uh, Vice President GM with the Kawartha Dairy. Um, I go back to Harry Boo gummy bears. I wanted them more as a child and because I couldn't purchase them in Canada. So every year at Christmas, my grandmother would send over a couple of bags and we'd fight over them. Uh, <laughs> Quartha Dairy, I could only have my ice cream, my banana ice cream, um, and my rainbow, which you no longer make, by the way. Rainbow sherbet, you dropped it. You, that was you. New market, I come to drop it. We have one Get that's rid- close, yeah. though. Yeah, it's, it's Raspberry not the same. lemon lime. It's, okay, it's close, but it's no cigars. It's just, just so you know. <laughs> I, you know, Minden, you know, that was there. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Uh, your distribution, again, I said there's a lot of runway for your company. Um, it's still pretty hard to get. Easier today. Uh, there's a Bruno's around the corner from me in Toronto. Uh, they now offer the product. Jack, you set up a new market. Is Quartha I Dairy think the Metro carries it. Yeah. yeah, we're in all the Metro stores yeah. in Ontario and all the food basics. It, yeah, not, it's La, been, not, not Loblaws, not President's Choice. Um, not exclusive. There, there's pockets where we have certain of, um, you know, so, uh, value marts, places like that. So okay, family business. This, this is an interesting one here because when I when I look at the ice cream uh, establishments in Canada, uh, they seem to be regional, uh, local, if anything else. And again, yeah. uh, Jack doing a little bit of homework on the show spoke about you know well, moving ice cream as a frozen item. You got to keep it frozen. The stuff that you brought us is dripping on the counter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we figured for that. Yet. We, we, got, we got you here on, cheer, on, on uh, Sugar Beach after all, right, right, right in the sun. So we make your job difficult for you. But. Um, uh, is there an opportunity for your company to to go nationwide? There is. I mean, it's just a matter of uh, getting the capacity and and getting the distribution set up. And uh, you know, we're not an, ag- an aggressive growth platform. The family um, wants to see growth, but they're not saying that we got to open so many stores in new territories. It's not really aggressive. It's like slow, steady growth. Don't like to be in debt. Let's let's grow. Protect we can the afford. brand, which is obviously very important. Oh, you want to yeah. make sure the quality's there. Yeah, and yeah, but there's also for first mover advantage. Again, what's interesting in business, and Jack and I speak about this quite frequently, is uh, and certainly in, in, in the tech business, is someone gets an idea, they don't have any money, they raise some money through an angel investing, and they speak of becoming public in two years or three years. Uh, I just came back from Europe, and I was traveling in Amsterdam, and Germany, and Denmark. And in Germany, there are a lot more private companies than public companies. There are family-run businesses. For example, a brand you know, Steel Chainsaws. Yes. That's a private family-run business out of Germany and an international brand. Product yeah. available in hundreds of countries, I'm certain, yeah. um, kept within the family. Yeah. Uh, Long and McQuaid, Yorkville Sound, that's one in Canada again, uh, within the family. Sure. It, you, these types of businesses employ people, uh, and, and they keep business is pure. When you go public, now you're dealing with quarter-to-quarter results, the objectives change. Uh, and then the marketers step in and they, they 
get rid of things. It's like you said, yeah. right? <laughs> we've we've been growing and adding employees, and uh, really, we're not. We never get to a position where we have to lay people off. It's it's pretty secure. Um, and as we go into more and more um, uh, locations with stores, we now have a. At the height of the summer, when we're hiring students, and we got about uh, 360 employees now. So that's a bit of a record for us. This 360 summer. employees. Counting all the kids that. You know, Has the minimum wage changed uh, the way you look at things? Um, I mean, you got summer employment. You have to pay them, I would yeah, assume, more now. That, uh, how's that affecting for business? For sure, that affected our retail operations, the 10 stores. That's uh, Those are the people. But, uh, ice, ice you know, we, prices going up we, as a result? The prices did go bit. up. You know, we have to, we still have to, you know, make the margin. So. But we, we still feel we offer great value. So No, no, that's the one thing that people don't realize, right? These minimum wages, at the end of the day, it's going to be pushed down to the consumer. The consumer. That's who's going to pay for it. Yeah, so what's, what's going on? That, that small ice cream of mine, which is a double scoop, by the way, at Dairy Bar, only there. A double scoop for a single price. But, but what's it going to go up to? Uh, that's a uh, double scoop is now up around $4. No, I mean a small, like your small ice cream, not your baby, your small, which is a double scoop. Yeah. That, that's four bucks? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a lot, of, price. It, that's a lot yeah. of ice cream. I ordered the baby, believe it or not, Jack. A double scoop would be more than enough for you. Four dollars uh, for the experience? And they're great. It, it is great. It's, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. I, I want to stick with how vertically integrated is your business? Because you sell milk, you sell cream, you yeah. sell uh, some a bit of cheese as well. Uh, and we don't make any cheese yeah. We in our stores. We sell cheese we buy from, again, smaller uh, independent uh, cheese companies. But um, in terms of... Uh, uh, Cattle. You have no dairy. No, cattle. that's no. Uh, the one thing we we don't have now. When I joined the company, we actually had a tank truck that went and picked up raw milk from the farm. Not no, a small portion of our requirements. We don't have that anymore. That's all controlled by Dairy Farmers of Ontario. But we did everything from pick up raw milk to uh, you know all the way through. So, to so, so who, who do you buy your milk from? Dairy Farmers of Ontario uh, used to be the old um, uh, Ontario Milk Marketing That's, yeah, Board. Milk Marketing it's Board. It's a, a yep. come on, uh, they're, uh, um, yeah, we, you know, they're, they're the only game in town. They're the they're only, so, what, what's, yeah. that, no, but what's that like to deal with the only game in town? You don't want our milk. Well, get, it's, get you know, I mean, sometimes you you can be frustrated that, oh, there's no, no other source and, and you have to live with the pricing that they, um, you know, uh, come up with every year for the farmers. But they have a uh, cost of production formulas. It's all kind of worked out. I guess the advantage for somebody smaller like us is we can buy at the same price as, 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 as the big guys. You, you can. You buy the so, same price as Nielsen. You know, if, if it wasn't like that, we, we'd be a lot worse off. So that, that's a good thing for us. Isn't that something else? Uh, Blake, it's a real pleasure, my friend. Um, Quart the Dairy, great brand, very proud of it. Uh, I wish I owned it. I really did. Um, yeah, I, I wish you guys a great summer. And But any, any new flavors you want to be aware of quickly? Well, the big one uh, this year is uh, we've done a collaboration with a similar company, uh, a little younger, but 20-year-old company in cottage country, Muskoka Brewery. And uh, they came out, we, we, we worked on some things together. I know Craig at Muskoka, I've known him for years, so on fishing trips we got talking and they they um, did a um, salty caramel truffle um, stout or bock rather ale, and um, you know using our ingredients. And now we've done a pralines and cream ale using their bona fide cream ale, the actual totes of beer uh, uh, made made in the production of that product. So I have it here. It's uh, it's quite unique. Yeah, well, brilliant. Well, again, Quartha Dairy. It's a great brand. It's 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 a brand that I'm proud to say is Canadian. And uh, hey. 
Next time you're up in Minden, look for the big cow on the roof. You'll see it. Highway 35 and 21. <laughs> uh, that's it for the show, folks. Real pleasure to have uh, you tune into Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle, good job as always. And I look forward to joining you each and every Saturday on 640 in Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.